What is layer five? Chevy. Yeah, so it's back to layer one of explaining this according to shot, but giving more details. So, because first in layer one, we just wanted to like make sure we understood the translation, not all the words are familiar. And then we gave all kinds of mishalim and symbolisms, and now we're back to shot. Okay, so in layer five, we were saying that um, we talked about why paninim. Um, first of all, why dafka pearls as opposed to the gold or diamonds? We talk about origin of pearls and how they're differently attained, obtained than um, other gems and other precious things. And we said why we were comparing her to a material thing that, you know, we talked about how people sometimes don't understand the value of a person and that a person cannot be valued by dollars or, you know, you can't replace a person with things that the money could buy. So I'm just reviewing what we said in Pasuk Yud. And we did Pasuk Yud Gimel, I believe. We did that. And um, did we talk about the, the, the woman who went to uh, the lecture about, um, I don't think we talked about that. So in Pasuk Yud Gimel, where we were saying that this is the beginning of the details of some of the things that she does. And we were talking about that her handiwork is not an interruption of her of her avodah Hashem, but rather a manifestation of it. I feel like I said that sentence. Yeah. That's the last thing we said. Oh, okay, so we need to finish in Yud Gimel. So this is something that's a little hard for people to grasp, that we don't live in a belief that like we have spiritual things and material things, and they're separate from each other. Just like there was an idea going around the world for a few hundred years in the realm of health that there's, you know, you have your mind and then you have your body and then you have your spirit and they're three separate things or maybe two separate things. In the olden times and now people again are beginning to understand our mind and our body are like, they work together. They're not like two separate things. And so, I mean, simplest example of that is like why I think I may have mentioned this, like why, if that wouldn't be true, then why would someone get like, tears coming out of their eyes when they're sad, right? So your mind and your body work together, right? And also uh, the life includes, life includes physical and spiritual actions and they're connected, right? You hold a lulav and esrog, that's physical and it changes your spiritual standing. Um, you eat matzah, you take into your body kosher food, or let's say matzah on occasion, or you sit inside a so Physical and spiritual are not like these two separate realms. And I think that from other cultures or religions, we may have picked up this idea that there's like a black line dividing the physical and the spiritual. And that's just not, that's not, that's not true. Okay. So we have, we have a, a thing, an idea maybe that like, if someone is like, washing dishes then they're then they're you know doing something mundane well it might not be stimulating for them it might not be you know they might want to you know they might not feel fulfilled by it and and we're not saying here that you know the way to be a fulfilled jewish woman is to just you know flick you know flick chickens and scrub the floor those might be hopefully we don't have to buy chickens that we have to flick in most places but you know like that was part of being a balabasta in times gone by and I'm not saying that in order to be a good Jewish woman, you have to sew and knit and, you know, clean chickens and, and do those things. And that you should be fulfilled. And if you have any complaints, well, too bad on you. That's not what we're saying. Everybody's different. Some people are very intellectual and they love to learn. Some people are, are very experiential and they love to dance. You know, it, there's every action is part of serving Hashem. 
That's kind of what we're saying. Every action. So washing dishes could be part of serving Hashem. You don't have to love it. And there's different ways around that. You could do something that you love while you're doing it. You could hire someone else to do it. You couldn't teach your children to do it. Hey, that's a great idea. You could, you know, you could, um, you could enjoy the relaxation, get into it and feel a feeling of like, watch what's happening as the dishes are getting cleaned. There's many ways of addressing it. And there is no Ineshah's Chayel. I don't want to teach anything like, you know, you better like this or else you're not a good Jewish woman. People are different. Women are different than each other. Men are different than each other. We're not saying that every woman should like the home arts or else she's not a good Jewish woman. We're not saying that. There's going to have to be a way of it getting done. And But, you know, it, 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 it's not there. It, it's not that there are physical activities and there are spiritual activities and they're separate. Everything can become spiritual and everything can become physical. Davening could be physical. If your mind is not there, davening is movement of the lips. What a tiring activity. It could be purely physical. And washing dishes could be spiritual if the person has a certain mind about it. So they kind of go together. They're not two separate things. So I heard a, 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 a rabbi, Torsky, I can't remember which one, came to. Uh, you have a question? Yeah. yeah. I'm just like wondering, like, how can washing dishes be spiritual? Okay. So I was saying, first of all, it, for some people, it can't. For some people, it cannot. And they might, um, you know, need to get other people to do that, or they might to do it, might have to do it and get through it, and they might not enjoy it. For some people, it is a spiritual experience because. Well, A, one simple thing is that they could listen to something while they're doing it, but that's actually not the healthiest way. The healthiest way is whatever I'm doing to be tuned into what I'm doing, to be present with what I'm doing. The more we learn to like be inside of ourselves and not floating up above ourselves while we're doing things, the healthier our life will be in so many ways. So how it could be spiritual really is if the person tunes in. Hey, my neshama, which rests in my body, is right now present as I am cleaning these these dishes. And I'm noticing the difference between when I start and when I finish and just present with oneself. And I'm not saying that this is something that everybody wants to tune into, should tune into, has to. But there are people who are just present in their life. If they're peeling vegetables, they're present. And if you're present, you're spiritual because your neshama is your presence if you're, if you're there in yourself when you're doing something, you are present. And that means your neshama is there. And it's a neshama experience. People, again, think that the you know, soul experience is davening or learning or saying tehillim. And a, you know, a non-soul experience is yeah, polishing their shoes. But that's, that's a false division. A soul experience is anything in which you are present in what you're doing. This might be totally unfamiliar to you. This might be very familiar to you, depending on your background, what you learn about, what you do in your family. You know, this might be like, sound like I'm speaking like a foreign language, or you might be like, yeah, uh-huh, I know that. So how it can be a spiritual experience is if you're present while you're doing it. You're just noticing, and sometimes gratitude comes in, but it doesn't have to. I'm grateful. I have a roof over my head. I have dishes. I have a family to serve. I have hands that wash dishes. I have hot water. I have soap. Could be gratitude, but I'm not only talking about gratitude, just presence. Okay. So this story, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So this story, um, will, you kind of will already guess the punchline from this intro that I gave. But I, I heard there was, a, there was a couple, a Torsky couple, I don't know which one they were, that came to a, a place where I was doing a camp one summer in California. And this, the, the rabbi um, said that... Um, there was a, a a gathering of women, you know, coming to get some chizuk, like to, you know, feel connected to what they're doing as they raise their family. Like a thing of like giving them a feeling of, um, 
importance for the for the role that they're playing raising their children. So the the speaker said, and it could be he it was he himself because it was probably 35 years ago that he said this. So I don't remember exactly. It could be he said he did this activity or he's just telling a story. So he gave out a paper and he said, oh, just write down your daily schedule. Like write your typical day, what you do. These were homemakers who didn't work outside the home. So like write down your typical day. Okay, now I'm giving out highlighters. Can I tell you this? Pink would be highlight the things that you do that are totally spiritual. Okay, like really like mitzvot and spiritual things. Yellow would be highlighting the things that you do that are like neutral things. And then blue, highlight the things that you do that are completely mundane and just have no spirituality in them. So these women, they did what he said, and they hadn't learned what we learned just now. So they wrote, they guess what color most of their paper was? Blue. Most of what they did was, was you know, in the realm of what they consider non-spiritual. So he said, now just imagine if there would be a um, foster care home for children who don't have their parents to care for them. And you would go, you know, once a week and you would go, you know, help with these children. So you would bathe them or read them a book or like listen to them, tell what they dreamed last night or, you know, schmooze with them, help them with their homework. I don't know, groom, cut their nails and brush their hair, um, help them brush their teeth, whatever their age is, you know, whatever's age appropriate. You, you would just like take care of these unfortunate let's say like orphaned children. So what color, let's say you would do that and you'd have that on your schedule at 4 p.m. on Mondays. What color would you highlight that? Spiritual. Oh, that's spiritual. I mean, it's a mitzvah, these poor children, you know. Can you guess the punchline? What if it's your own children? Why is that not spiritual to be listening to your child as they're talking, to be sitting on the floor and playing a game? Why is that not spiritual? Because it's every day? Because you think, oh, that's my job? Because you... Why is that not spiritual? In fact, it's even more of an accomplishment because you can have a way bigger effect on your own children who are in a healthy uh, setting than on these children that are so unfortunate that like your one hour, you know, it's, it's good, but I don't know how much it's going to even contribute to their, to their, you know, and I actually had an experience like this myself when one time um, I went to Eretz Yisrael before Yom Kippur for Yom Kippur to help my sister. She was, you know, taking care of her daughter who had been in a terrible accident. And I was sitting on the floor in Arab Yom Kippur, like playing a game with my nephew who was, you know, four years old or whatever. And I was sitting like doing a puzzle with him. And I was thinking, it's Arab Yom Kippur. I didn't dive in. Arab Yom Kippur is a very busy day. It's like a holiday of its own, right? I didn't dive in. I, I barely said the word of tefillah. I didn't eat. And you're supposed to eat on it, you know but I was saying, okay, oh, come on, like it's a mitzvah. This is what Hashem wants. It's a mitzvah. He's a poor child. His mother is, you know, their family is suffering. They're in crisis. It's a mitzvah. And then I sat down on the plane after him, and I thought, how about my own children? Is it not a mitzvah to sit and, and interact with them and put aside tefillah and put aside all these things? Because this is what's being asked of me, but you feel it more when it's like a special mode, when it's outside your house, you know, when it's, when it's something special, you feel, oh, I'm doing a mitzvah. And it's really nice if you can also tune in when it's your own siblings that you're doing chesed for, when it's your own mother, when it's going to be your own spouse, mitzvah, that you're doing chesed for. That's really special when you can, this is a mitzvah just as much, if not more. But we don't necessarily notice that something is spiritual when it's in our everyday activities. Like that the, a physical activity could be totally spiritual when it's in our, when it, when, when it's something that we, that we're, 
we tune into it and recognize like, this is from Hashem. Whatever he sent me right now is all I need to be doing. And I think a lot of times people, they feel very good to be busy, right? People feel very important when they say how busy they are. So busy. I'm so busy. It's, it makes people feel important. It makes people feel good. It makes them feel accomplished. Maybe it makes them feel chashav, like important and, you know, better than others, you know? So they talk about how busy they are and they, and they, they really are, you know, people are busy. People are pressured but they don't let themselves do what they're doing. When they're peeling the vegetables, they're thinking, I gotta be doing that. When they're doing that, they're thinking, I gotta be doing that. And they're never where they are. I gotta be doing this. And one of the things that Hashem wants us to know is whatever he gave you to be doing now, it's really all you need to be doing. And you have his permission to settle in and just do what you're doing and think there's nothing else I need to be doing now because he made me a single organism with a single brain and one pair of hands. And yeah, you know, multitasking is a thing, but it's actually, you're kind of doing things in quick succession. You're not really multitasking. You can't really do two things at once. One minute you're concentrating on the driving and the other minute you're concentrating on the phone. You're not really doing both at the same time. You drive an autopilot when you're, okay, we won't talk about that. <laughs> but, you know, um, you know, the, 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 the fallacy is that the more, scatter the more busy we are and the more you know our minds are in a hundred different places the you know greater accomplishment there is but actually i mean i'll ask you do you enjoy interacting with people who are absent when you're interacting with them do you enjoy talking to someone whose mind is elsewhere how can you tell that you're talking to someone whose mind is elsewhere yeah spacey look and you know Nobody enjoys that. Nobody enjoys interacting with someone who's absent. We all appreciate being focused on when we're speaking to somebody. We all appreciate it. I'm sure Hashem as well when we're davening and we're, you know, um, it, you know, we, when we're a pres- when present in what we're doing, we're a whole different type of a person. And it's hard for people to be present in what they're doing because yeah, a lot of reasons. One is a feeling of like, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. I can't, I can't, I can't, um, you know, just do what I'm doing or else I won't be accomplishing enough. And meanwhile, we're not really, we're kind of like, we're not really multitasking, we're semi-tasking. We're not really doing anything at one time. So if we can get ourselves a little bit more focused on what we're doing, then we'll realize that is spirituality, being focused on what we're doing, doing things with intention, calming ourselves down, not being so pressured is a favor to everybody around us for sure. Okay. So, um, in this one, I would also say that the letters of the Simcha is Machshava. Okay. Really, first of all, you know, our, our thoughts, you know, influence our mood. Yeah. I think that's for sure. True. Right. If you're thinking poor me and my life is horrible and I'm, I can't cope and those thoughts, you're not going to be in such Simcha. But also that, you know, you are where your thoughts are. You are where your mind is. So like we're saying, like, if you're doing an action, an activity, but your mind is pulled to how much else you have to do, you'll not settle into simcha. It's interesting that simcha comes from presence. When you're present and you're quiet inside, you feel happy because your neshama is is able to kind of express itself. It could be even a sad time, but you'll feel a certain satisfaction and happiness just from being present, being connected to your very self. And, you know, one of the worst sufferings is just being separated from yourself of like, here you're standing, your feet are on the floor and your hands are 
whatever, doing an action, but yourself is nowhere to be seen. It's floating somewhere. It's a out, you know, it's lost. And that's a very common experience for people today. Um, and if we could just learn to, you know, pull ourselves down into ourselves and like be present. Oh, I'm here. Oh, there's, th- those are my feet that are under me. Oh, these are my hands. It's attached to me. This is, I'm here. When we can be more present, a lot of things can actually be fixed. We'll have better relationships. We won't be as reactive to things that bother us and we will cope with life and we'll actually have a more, you know, actually a spiritual experience in whatever we're doing. In this same Pasuk Yud Gimel, we mentioned which two fibers. They're the only fibers mentioned in the whole age. Well, that's not true. Mm -mm. Um, They're the only... They're an umbrella term for the only fibers in Asia's Kyle. So what are they? Yeah, Nava? Yes, wool and linen. So in the earlier layers, we said different reasons for wool and linen. They're opposites, and they were the only fibers available in those times. There was no cotton, surely no polyester, and anything else, um, wool and linen. But in this layer, we'll say, it mentions that because her main priority first is, is always halacha. Like her first question is, is halachically okay? So she's checking, number one, is it, is what she's choosing shotness or, you know, making sure she's not creating a shotness garment. She's making sure that she doesn't mix wool and linen. So number one in her life, the first thing, her first line of thinking is like, okay, halacha. Second comes anything else. But this does not mean that the person has an OCD relationship with mitzvos. This does not mean that she she's like obsessive and, and full of fear and, you know, scrupulosity. It means that first, like that's it. She's she's accustomed to always running through things through the filter of halacha before going on to the next thing. Like, OK, does the halacha allow it? Yeah. OK, now let's see if it's good for me. Let's see if it applies to me. But first of all, like she just filters everything through the question of if halacha permits it. And so um, she, first of all, is mentioned, you know, it first mentions Samar Fishtim so that we know, like, first she makes sure that something is not um, Shatnas and then everything else is, comes second, third, fourth, etc. Okay, so the next Pasuk we're going to skip to for layer five is Tesvav, where we see that um, she um, gets up early to. Um, give tariff to her household and chok l'narosah. So in other layers, we said it was food, or we said like chok was mitzvos. We said, you know, different meanings for different layers. Here we're going to say tariff, okay, in, in general, in Tanakh, forgetting about Ishishchal for a second, what does tariff mean? Uh, oh, oh, that's interesting. Motzil mazor tariff. Is that with a test? Like in your meow. Uh-huh. Wonder. No, 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 no. That's with the tough. like trufa. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Tariff, like let's say tarof taraf or zevi trof. People use it in Yiddish all the time. Traif, right? Oh. <laughs> People use traif to mean like milchik fleishig or like ham. What's traif really? Non-shechted. Traif means torn. That's why Yaakov's sons told him that Yosef was torn by a wild animal. And, and in, in, in um, on Rosh Hashanah Kippur, we say, Mi Yishalev, O Mi Yisasar, Mi Taref, who, like, who will be suffering from being torn, like, you know, non-settled, unsettled. So, Tes Resh Pei means ripped, torn. And usually it means, um, you know, like an animal, we use it to mean an animal that isn't shechted properly, 
And it, somehow it extended to mean all non-kosher. Oh, my state, my stove is trace. That's not really the correct expression. Your stove is not trace. It may have basar b'chalav on it. It's not trace. And even ham is not trace. Pork is not trace. Trace is an animal that's not shechted properly, but it's an expression that means non-kosher. Anyway, so... Um, Torn, what does that have to do with this? She gives tariff. Which kind of um, animal gets its food by doing that? Like that, by tearing. Yeah, like a lion, like a predator. A, a, a predator, this is going to be like a few steps, so we get to the understanding. A predator, you know, chases its prey and tears it apart, right? Toref ve'ochel, they they catch their animal, they tear it apart, and they eat it. A predator, a lion, or a um, other cats, or a wolf, or something like that. Um, so um, that kind of food, that system is like the animal doesn't know when it's going to catch its prey. Most of the time, the prey, the prey outruns the predator. Most of the time, the predator does not succeed. It's just they succeed enough that they eat enough because they eat a whole beast and then they rest for a while and they don't need to eat. So it's unexpected. It's un, it's unknown whether to, to rely upon it. While a herd animal, like a, you know, the animals that are the prey, how do they eat? The herbivores, they graze. The grass is always available. They graze. They, they're always munching, right? If you ever rode a horse, They'll stop and start munching on, and you have to, no, don't let it eat the flowers or whatever. These great, these prey animals, they, the, the herbivores, they're always eating just what, they're grazing. Grazing means eating like constantly. So the Aisha Schail doesn't think of whatever she has as like, yeah, it's always there, no problem, it's always available. She always feels like, whoa, it's my lucky day. She always notices the food that she has for her family like a, like as though it's tariff, unexpected. It's like food acquired suddenly. She realizes that all her food and everything else is a direct gift as though it appeared suddenly. So she has a, an, an appreciation of her, of the food and everything she has for her family, as it's something like, wow, I got this. Instead of like, yeah, it's there. I, I deserve it. It's, it's, you know, I, I, it's, it's coming to me. When we have an attitude of like, everything is coming to me, we don't enjoy our life, right? We're bored with life, and we think like, what's the next exciting thing? Because right now, this is not exciting. Life is. is <clears throat> Life is so bland. You know, I already know I'm going to have all these things coming to me. That's not, that doesn't give people a sense of pleasure. Pleasure comes when a person starts noticing and you notice when something is like unpredictable. You don't know if you're going to have it or not. So not that she has like a nervous feeling of like, oh, is there going to be food tomorrow? That's not what we're saying. But that whatever she has, whether it's food or anything else she has for herself or her family, she, she reacts to it as though it's like tariff, like something unexpected, like something really special. She has an appreciation for it as though it's tariff, unexpected food acquired suddenly. That's what we're saying for Pasuk Tesvav. Now we're going to move to Yilchetz when you're ready. Tama kitov sachra. She tastes and she senses that her merchandise is good. Therefore, loich bebalai laneira. Does anybody remember in layer one what we said about to'em, that she's tasting? A sense, a sense. So we we explain that in life, it's not enough to just know something as an idea up here. You can know 
everything in your frontal, in your neocortex, you're not going to act on it until it's more integrated into you. Can anyone give an example of something that you could know something as a fact, you know, with, with your intellect, but it does not impact your life? Yeah. Like oh, yeah. Yeah, you know that he exists, you know he's watching, you know he has the power to pay back, but you don't necessarily act that way all the time, right? The way that we are influenced is when something is down into our felt senses. And this actually goes back into what we were saying before about being present, right? A person could know everything and act totally against everything that they know. And, you know, I think one of the Hasidic Shurebbe said, like, the distance between your heart, your heart and your mind is like a million miles. You know, there's no, no, you know, it's, it's so far and distant. Like, you can know things, but you don't necessarily feel them. You know that you have worth. You know that you're the one and only you. You know that Hashem created you. You know he woke you up this morning. You know that you're treasured by many people. But you might still sometimes feel low self-esteem, helpless, angry, um, you know, incapable. Just because you know something doesn't mean the way that you, we, something becomes a part of us is when we feel it. And when you taste something, it's like a felt sense. When you taste, like it says in Tehillim, ta'amu uru kitov Hashem. Taste and you will see that Hashem is good. It's a, a felt sense when you feel it. You know, like let's say when you're really happy. Let's say you, know, you just got amazing news or someone just said something so nice to you. What happens? You is, is it just reading across your forehead like a like a like a news alert? What you feel good? Did anybody ever notice? Like where do you feel it? Everywhere. What'd you say? Everywhere. Everywhere? Yeah. Your heart, yeah. your heart might feel like loose and open. You might feel um, uh, instead of tight, like relaxed. Maybe your your chest relaxes. Maybe you feel your shoulders go back, you know, maybe you feel your head higher. Start noticing this. It's very informative. Where do you feel what? In your body. That's actually, our body is our response system. That's what I was talking about before. It tells us what's going on for us, right? If you feel your face getting red and you, you're, you're feeling angry, don't just say, Ugh, I hate these feelings. What? What just happened? Ooh, my face just flushed. I just got angry. What just happened? Mm, someone just crossed my boundaries. Our anger is our alert system. Our happiness is our alert system. Our body and our feelings, I'm not even talking about emotions. That's already the next level. I'm talking about our felt senses, our sensory system. Hot, cold, shaky, secure, relaxed, tense. Um, what else? Uh, you know, pain. Those are all our alert system for what's going on in our emotions. And our emotions are the seat of really our, what we do. Of course we should, should listen to our intellect, but unless your intellect is in communication with your heart, you're not gonna listen to your intellect. You're gonna listen to your, to your emotions and your emotions are preceded by your sensations. So ta'ama, she really deeply, not yodas. It's not that she knows as a fact, you know, well, I'm lucky to be having my family. There's a lot of things we know as a fact that don't affect our life. When we get them down into our nervous system, into our felt senses, then we actually live that way, okay? So it's a big topic, and it's not its really not the main topic of what we're learning, but, I, I, you know, it's something worth finding out about, that our felt senses are what really will influence our, 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 our behavior. So um, 
when we feel something, we shouldn't ignore it or resent it. We should pay attention to it. So um, she senses, she tastes, kitov sachra, that her merchandise is good. And that means whatever she's busy with, her family, klal Yisrael, whatever responsibilities Hashem gave her in life, whatever she's good at, whatever she's interested in, she senses that it's worthwhile. And so she has energy. She doesn't burn out so fast, right? We said that you burn out of something when it just doesn't feel worthwhile. When you say, I keep on trying and I don't see results. So I'm burning out. My candle is going out. I don't have koach for this. You have koach for something that you feel, you see results. We're energized by results. We really are. We're energized by seeing this is worth something. Like I'm, I'm gaining from this. Someone's gaining. I'm having a positive effect on someone. Someone is, is benefiting from me. I'm, I'm having a positive influence on the world. That's how that fuels us. That puts gas into our tank. If we're just working and working and not seeing anything from it, it's like we're trying to drive our car without any gas in the tank. And you can try, but it's not going to go. Yeah. Like, I don't know, just like when, so, like even when a small thing happens and you're like happy and everything, it could like make you be able to do more things in your day. Totally. You just have like more energy. Yeah. When you're happy, you have more energy, even if, like you said, it's a small thing and it's not related to what you have to do. Yeah. If you watch people, you know, you know, those time-lapse pictures, like they're showing the construction of a house. So they take a picture every day at the same time and you see like the light and the darkness and the tree, the, you know, you see the leaves that... You know, you, you get to see the progression, like in, not in real time, in like in no time, you know, and you see like the leaves coming and the leaves going and the light and the dark. And if we would take a snapshot of ourselves at the same time every day and we would see, you know, how different we are on different times and we would be able to say, why was I smiling and like walking fast and getting things done there? And why was I dragging there? And it could be so many reasons, but it always has to do with our, our state. <laughs> it always has to do with our state and it could be a physical state. It could be that you have the flu, um, you know, and, or how much sleep you got or, or what somebody said to you or, you know, um, the amount of work that's on your plate, you know, but we, we are very changeable. We are not steady in our mood activity level. And like, like Aliyah said, like someone could just say a nice word to you, or you could just have gotten good news or you just finished a huge assignment and you have like all this bubbling energy. You feel like there's like, you know, like when you open a seltzer bottle and like, it's like effervescence, like sometimes we're like effervescent and bubbly. And sometimes we're like a clod of lead or a bowling ball. And it's good to notice what makes us those ways, you know? So she has this koach and, and there's actually ways to get yourself into different modes using your mind. For example, if you ever are feeling like a, a way you don't want to feel, let's say you're sad. Okay. So it's not so bad to be sad. Part, being sad is part of life. We don't have to fight it. But if like, you feel like you have a steady state of sadness, like you wake up in the morning and you're like, Ugh, and that's your steady state. Not just when something happens, you can change your steady state, your, your set state. You can, you can change your starting point. And one activity, I'll just give you an example. It's very good to have these tools is to think, what's, what am I feeling? Sad. What's the opposite? Happy, maybe glad, maybe content, whatever it is to you. And then you can ask yourself, what does content feel like? And for a few seconds, just describe it to yourself. Content feels like a blue sky. Content feels bubbly. Content feels satisfied. I mean, like more like colors and images and whatever. And you keep saying that, like, let's say 60 seconds. You say, content feels like butterflies. Content feels like, and you describe it to yourself. You can actually raise your mood because it's, you can raise your, your, your vibrations actually. And you could change your, your, your state of where you're up to. It's really cool. Not that we should never be sad. 
That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that if you have it as a problem that you're usually, let's say, depressed or usually sad or usually angry, you can actually work with that and you can change your your set point, which is really great to know. Um, so she has like a lot of energy to do life because she senses a sense of chashivas to what she's doing. When you feel like what you're doing is purposeful, you can do anything. You know, Dr. Viktor Frankl, who survived Auschwitz, and he went in, he was a neurosurgeon and a psychiatrist, so highly educated Jewish person from Vienna. He lost his wife. She was expecting their first child. He lost his parents. He lost everything. But he wanted to know, he wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning. Like, what? Have you read? Have you heard? Yeah. So anyone ever read? Anyone read it? You've heard of it. So, so he studied, like, what makes people have koach for life? And he wrote a book about that. But one thing that he said is like, no matter what was taken from me, I knew that it could, what could not be taken from me was my own perspective on life, my own beliefs, my own inner world. I, I, he has another word for it. But, but he also said, I looked for it at the end of the day, the sun was going to set and the Nazis could not cancel that. They could not cancel a beautiful sunset. So I kept myself alive by looking for that beautiful sunset that I knew was going to come to me at the end of my my day, if you want to call it a day, what he had there. And I think like if he could think that way, and he says many other things, it's worthwhile to think about that we can all find meaning. And my point is here that when you have meaning, you have koach. We don't have koach when we don't have meaning in what we're doing. Think about how that's true. That when what we're doing is meaningful, we have koach. There's that famous, famous legend of the prisoner who was churning a wheel for years and years in prison. Anyone know the story? Churning a wheel, and every day he did it dutifully, and he just kept on going, churning that wheel, and he believed that he was grinding wheat for the town's flour or whatever. And when he was released from prison, he said, can I see the wheel on the other side of the wall that I was turning? And they said, nah, it was nothing. We were tricking you. And the story goes that he collapsed and died because he always felt purpose and that's what gave him koach to live and when we don't feel purposeful everything is hard feels hard when we feel purposeful things are doable so finding meaning in what we're doing always always helps she senses deeply not just over here through herself she senses that what she's her merchandise what she's working with is tov is worthwhile and therefore, she has ca her candle burns through late, you know, because she, yeah, it means she doesn't burn out. It means that she's in ignited. She's excited. She feels koach. This does not mean that you should stay up late into the night because, like we said, that's not part of, you know, self-care. And we, you know, occasionally, everything has its occasions. Everything has its time. There's no rule never, ever. But, you know, it doesn't mean that she doesn't take care of herself because that would not, that would conflict with everything else we're learning. Okay. Um... Your test. This is an interesting phraseology. Her hand, her hands, she sends into the kishor, and her palm supported the pelach. Remember, we said the kishor and the pelach are the parts of the loom. I showed you a picture of those things. Here, the distaff and the spindle. I'll show you again, right? This is the. Um, I'm getting confused. The kishor is the thing that feeds into. This is the. Does anyone remember? Do you have any? I could look in layer one too, but um, I think the pelach is the spindle and the kishore is the distaff. The kishore is, makes the, the fibers kosher, like prepared for the pelach, I think. 
And what have it? The kishor is the distaff. What? The kishor is the distaff. Right. Okay. So it's it's mechasher. It makes the you know fit the fibers for this. Okay. So what is this with the sending? You don't usually use an expression about your hands. I sent my hands. Right. Your hands are attached to your body. You can't send them very far, you know? So let's notice that Shlomo Amalek uses that strange use of words. Because in Pirkeavos, in Parakei Mishnah Yud Gimel, we'll be getting there in a few weeks, right? Now we're doing Pirkeavos on Shabbos. Pirkeavos, Parakei Mishnah Yud Gimel, it says the best mida, the best way of interacting with people is What's yours is yours, and what's mine is yours. A feeling of not having ownership over things in life. Now, let me explain. This does not mean that we should have no boundaries, and people should be able to take our things without asking us. People should be able to you know, use our ideas without respecting us. That's not what this means. What it means is that we realize that life is a cycle of giving and receiving, and that when you give, you are receiving. So she sends her hands away, meaning she gives without expecting something in return. Now, that almost sounds contradictory to what I just said. Because what it means is she's giving and she's not saying, now you give back to me. She understands that the act of giving in itself is an act of receiving. And I'm going to stop there and we'll explain why. Mr. Shem on Sunday, 